This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Kristen Peck, CEO of Zoetis. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Healthy Hives, Bayer's Bee Health Research Initiative. Since 2015, Bayer's Healthy Hives Research Initiative has worked to help beekeepers around the world improve the health of their colonies. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Zoetta CEO Kristen Peck next. Healthy Hives, a bee health research initiative led by the Crop Science Division of Bayer and the nonprofit Project IPIS, has been extended through 2023. Launched in 2015, Healthy Hives has funded research projects with academic institutions across the world with one goal in mind, to help beekeepers improve the health of their colonies. With more than $1.8 million in funding support from Bayer, Healthy Hives researchers have conducted projects covering multiple aspects of beekeeping, ranging from nutrition and genetics to hive management. The research conducted under Healthy Hives could have a dramatic, tangible impact on the future health of pollinators, as well as the viability of beekeeping, both of which are crucial to the world's food supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. From animal disease to the global COVID pandemic, the world has learned hard lessons about the challenges of preventing the spread of disease, treating the sick. Kristen Peck, CEO of Zoetis, says COVID has taught us a lot about emerging infectious diseases. The reality, Jeff, as you likely know, is that 60% of infectious diseases are actually zoonotic, which means they can move from animal to animal and in our case, with COVID, from animal to human. And 75% of the diseases we have actually have an origin in animals. So it really does teach us that paying attention to animal health is paying attention to human health. So I think that's, you know, really the lesson. And just also the inspiration of how fast the healthcare organizations from vaccines to diagnostics can really move. I think it was really, truly inspiring. I think there is a sliver of our populace that believes that nature is pristine and that there are no mutations, when in reality, if you've been around livestock, if you've raised crops, you realize uh, that's not the norm at all. There are bugs and there are disease and there are challenges that you just can't plan for. No, that is definitely the case. And, you know, we're partnered with the World Health Organization And we're currently watching about 200 diseases and animals that we think have significant implications for humans. And to your point, you know, other ones emerge every day. There's ones that most people probably know, such as avian influenza or rabies or Lyme or West Nile. But I do really think public-private partnerships are going to be key here, you know, because diseases do evolve. Um, Certainly COVID came up very quickly. And I think, you know, the focus we have at Zoetis is the first to know and fast to market. And and our lessons so far as we've looked at emerging infectious diseases is early surveillance is key. You know, you got to have a system set up and then you've got to quickly mobilize diverse resources when there is an outbreak, whether that is diagnostic resources or R&D resources or manufacturing. And you have to act decisively and invest. Um, And it's always best if you can do it early. I mean, that's certainly the lesson we've been learning. While compromise for a brief uh, period of adjustment this spring, generally I would suggest U.S. consumers have not had to worry about a shortage of food. What should be said of this U.S. food production system and what efforts should be expanded now or protected to ensure the quantity, the quality, and the safety of food? 
I think consumers probably for many, many years, I think, took the, you know, safe, affordable food supply for granted. And I think one thing that COVID has changed in society, certainly in America, is that we have a lot more appreciation for where our food comes from and its complex supply chain. You know, first, at the root of it, you need to make sure animals uh, stay safe and healthy. Um, and I think, you know, focusing certainly there, we've talked a little bit about with regards to emerging infectious diseases, but then also just thinking about what those supply chains look like and making sure we can have redundancies. We saw when there were outbreaks at packing plants, there are, you know, only a, you know, a number of packing plants that really produce the majority of the meat for the United States. And I think we saw what happens when one of those, you know, has a challenge and has to reduce its capacity. So I think, you know, continuing to invest in redundancies across our supply chain um, to ensure safe, affordable food supply, you know, has become much more, uh, much more of a, a focus, I think, across America. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think understanding where your food comes from is important. And I think consumers really want more transparency and more choice. AgriPulse would like to congratulate you on being named one of Fortune's Business Persons of the Year. I know that doesn't come without uh, an outstanding leadership effort on your part, but also a great staff company-wide uh, and literally of a worldwide scope. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Um, it was certainly an, an honor to win that. But I very much believe oftentimes, you know, the leaders get the recognition. But very much to your point, I think that has everything to do with our colleagues around the world, their resilience this year, their hard work. And I would also just say the culture of focusing on our customer first and investing in our colleagues that we've built over Zoetis since uh, we became a public company almost eight years ago. I, I think you don't get to this recognition in year, in year eight uh, without a really solid foundation and with just incredible culture focused on our customer for, you know, throughout, you know, our company's history. Before we delve a lot deeper into Zoetis, I'd like to be able to offer the opportunity for you to give us a, a perhaps a recent history of the company. And I'd also like to make a point that you're not Pfizer. No, we are not Pfizer. And we've actually had no relation to Pfizer for over seven years now. Zoetis is the world leader in animal health. We have a diverse portfolio that really spans what we call the continuum of care. We make vaccines, medicines, diagnostics devices. We are the largest animal health company with $6.3 billion in revenue. About half of that is in the U.S. and about half of that is outside of the U.S. And about half of our business is in livestock and about half of it is in pets. And, you know, we're very proud to have 10,000 colleagues across the world. But with the majority of them in the United States, we have our R&D operations headquarters here in Kalamazoo and some of our largest manufacturing sites in the U.S. as well, both in Kalamazoo, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and in Charles City, Iowa. And we really feel that this integrated approach where across the continuum of care where we can help predict disease, uh, looking at genetic testing, we can help prevent disease with vaccines, detect it with our diagnostics, and when that's not possible, treat it with our medicines is really, you know, the way we should be thinking about animal health care is really across that continuum of care. What doors have opened as we have continued to humanize our pets? When your dog is outside, you certainly take care of certain health care problems. When they move inside, you take care of a lot more, and when they get on your bed, even more. And I think, you know, as that's happened, we've taken better care of our pets. They live longer, and there's more chronic disease. And I think if you look at COVID, the other thing we've seen is that the more time we spend around our pets, the more we're noticing. Noticing itchy dogs or allergic dermatitis in dogs or pain, osteoarthritis. And, you know, I think this is really, as you more humanize the pet, you're really noticing more things. They're living longer. And we're really investing in their health and wellness in ways we, we didn't do a mere 10 years ago. 
Regarding livestock, it seems it would be hard to innovate with such a perhaps vocal minority pushing back even on current animal health practices. Are the headwinds either domestically or globally preventing or inhibiting you? We've been, you know, really strongly advocating across the globe, certainly here in the U.S. and around the world, that the same type of technological innovation that we've seen in almost every other sector of society is just as important in the animal health space. I mean, if you really want to focus on improving the efficiency of production, certainly looking more at individualized animal care and really better driving the digital transformation of the industry, I think people sometimes, you know, want to believe there's just one cow roaming the field. And if they understood that what that meant for the price of their product or the health care of some of those animals, you know, you'd embrace more of what I think the industry is trying to move to. So, for example, we really believe investing in genetics, which is genetic testing, knowing the animals that are more likely to um, suffer from diseases the same way you know that in humans. And you can breed the animals that are more likely to be healthier. And that would help us, you know, reduce the use of antibiotics, which I think is important. But there's lots of other ways with, you know, sensors and diagnostics and analytics. We need to bring some of this technology, this digital knowledge to the animal health space to improve, you know, both their welfare and certainly their efficiency and make sure we can invest in sustainable solutions that make sense for the planet as well. A couple of weeks ago on this program, we had Congressman Mike Conaway of Texas, who is retiring this Mm -hmm. year. And as we talked about future ag policies, he suggested that perhaps there should be a better effort for people to understand that big is not bad. And I think some of the livestock operations that we have today are criticized uh, because they are so secure. The biosecurity measures that are in place uh, some of those items should be, I think, celebrated as opposed to challenged for the security that they provide and the safety for the animals. I think that's a phenomenal point. I, I think you can look at it even broader than that, which is to invest in the practices, you know, you know, water usage, some of the things that really matter for the for sustainability. It really does make a big difference. And if you look at biosecurity, the U.S. has been quite fortunate that they haven't had a lot of major disease outbreaks that have affected other countries around the world. And that is because, you know, you have some of these large producers who are really ensuring biosecurity. If you look at how devastating African swine fever was for China, where they just didn't have these larger integrated producers with this type of biosecurity and how much that destroyed really the swine market in China, you'd understand the importance of making sure that we do follow this biosecurity in the U.S. and it has helped us ensure a safe, affordable food supply for, for many, many years. So I think it is important that we understand what that really means and why it is not bad the way many Americans like to think of it. And, you know, it's funny, um, I came into the industry about 10 years ago, and I think, you know, I was a little worried when I came in, God, when I toured all these facilities, you know, was I still going to want to eat, you know, the meat on my plate? And I have n- never been more confident than the more I knew about how we produce the protein in this country, the more confident I am in it. And I think... This is important for people to realize there's one-off sensational stories, but the majority of Americans who raise animals on these farms, you know, their practices are phenomenal. Their focus on the animal welfare is incredible. So, I, you know, I have more confidence than I've ever had, and I think understanding more about how we produce food in this country would make people more confident and more supportive. So is sustainability a new paradigm for Zoetis, or... Is it just a new name on work you've already been doing? I think it's more focused around work we've already been doing and honestly better communicating and focusing those resources. The wetness plays, I think, an essential role in nurturing the world and humankind by focusing on advancing animal care. 
what we do supports the health and wellness of pets and the safety and sustainability of our food supply. So I think this is, you know, work we've always been doing. We really focus, you know, first and foremost on innovation. You know, how do we solve the challenges that animals are facing so that we can keep people and animals both safe? And, you know, this also helps protect our planet. We're focused on just how we you know, run our operations from water usage, carbon, methane, you name it, of our own footprint. You're seeing growth, financial growth in a company, certainly that's had a, a storied past, but also looks to have a very bright future, and innovation is a part of that. Innovation, I really think, has been key. We're fortunate to be in an industry that generally grows, and that's really driven by two things. One, the humanization of pets and people wanting to spend more time with their pets and in investing more in their health and wellness, but as well on just a rising world population that, you know, wants to, you know, drink more milk and eat more protein. And as long as that's the case, we should be able to be growing in the mid-single digits. But the wettest is growing much faster than that. And that's really been driven by innovation. It's been bringing, you know, new products, new um, vaccines to market. I mean, across, you know, livestock, as we certainly talk about, um, we can talk about Fustera Gold and Swine, really bringing new vaccine solutions, new diagnostic solutions, the genetic testing, which we talked about, and then we're really looking at the future of what, you know, we call precision livestock farming, you know, really thinking more around the digital and data side of that for innovation there as well. But I do think innovation has always been central to the value proposition that we've provided our customers is just continuing to find new ways to make them more efficient, to, you know, increase their productivity and to invest in the animal welfare. So forgive me, I come from a crops background. So when I hear the words precision agriculture, I naturally think of fields and crops and the data that we're drawing and the analysis of that data that's helping producers uh, make decisions on grids within fields. But I realize now with the work that has been done uh, in the industry and the work that Zoetis is doing, uh, data and data analysis may become a really big part of, of livestock production. Yeah, I mean, I'll try to paint a vision of what I think, you know, the future really brings and, and, and how exciting that is, which is if you start with understanding the genetics of an animal um, and whether they're more likely to get metritis, for example, like a cow, or, you know, even just productivity, what their potential marbling, lots of things you can know early on, you can make sure you're breeding the right animal. That's one set of data. I think if then if you combine that with diagnostics and understanding, you know, you know how an animal is doing, what its health, you know, is, you take that as another set of data. We now also have sensors that you can put on a cow that knows when it's in heat. If it's not ruminating, if it's therefore probably not, it's probably sick in some way. That allows you to pull that animal quickly so that it doesn't infect other animals. That ensures better responsible use. You can also understand what it's eating and whether that's the best diet for to make it most productive. If you could take all this data and combine it, you can really get to what we call individualized animal care, which is, you know, great from an animal welfare, but it also means, you know, more responsible use of antibiotics, more productive, and hopefully, therefore, more affordable. So I really do think there's an exciting vision when you think about the different data sources we now have um, across the animal sector to, you know, increase efficiency, increase productivity, um, and be more sustainable doing that. Well, with regard to technology, I recall uh, work that was being done in the dairy industry when the animal was in the barn. But what you're discussing now has the ability to measure the animal when it's in the field, and that's going to take us to a discussion about broadband. Yeah, I mean, I think to support everything we're talking about, you're going to need to have broadband networks in rural America. I mean, you know, we always focus as a company on the policy issues that are most important to our customers. And 
you know, for starters, regardless of, you know, what I'm talking about with precision livestock farming, rural America needs broadband just for education. I mean, I think COVID has laid that bare in ways that almost nothing else has um, and really put a focus on that. But if you're going to enable what I'm talking about, you know, rural broadband is really critical. And, you know, we're very grateful to be partnered um, with many of our, you know, key customers um, or partners across the industry as well as government to try to enhance the rural broadband networks um, across America. Not too long ago, I bought one of those smart watches, which now reminds me that I need to get up and walk around. It tells me how well I slept. <laughs> it, it's telling me more about myself than I ever would have known, and I, I thought that was an innovation. But then a friend of mine who's into technology showed me a similar app for their pet. And the pet, you could tell yeah. how well they slept and how much they eat, and you could actually even take this data and share it with the veterinarian to diagnose uh, issues that might be going on with the animal. I don't think, I don't know that we have we have drawn the parallel and and what we can learn about our pets and how farmers can use the same technology that takes us to areas of animal husbandry that have been in question for so long. No, I think that's, I mean, that's so true. I, I jokingly say, I think my dog's, um, life is pretty good. I, I don't know. <laughs> I live in the country, so I, you know, I think my dog has a, a pretty good life exercise, et cetera. But especially when you have animals with chronic illness, um, you know, pets, I think that technology is really important. And I think what's exciting is you move it even to, um, you know, like to cows or to pigs is, you know, you can really understand not just is the animal in general healthy, but is the animal acting like itself? You get a baseline of data, and we can actually show you within a herd of animals, this animal is likely getting sick because its behavior has changed from its individualized behavior, not just what a herd does. So I think you're down to almost like your pet, where you can notice very quickly if they're not, if their behavior isn't like normal, um, if something's off. And, you know, that, you know, with the pet, it's one-on-one, so it's easier to tell. I think when you've got a herd of animals, it is hard to tell. But if you've got a technology that's saying, this animal's behavior today just isn't like it normally is, you can just send a cowboy out to check that animal. Um, and again, if it looks, if the cowboy sees it and says, oh, let's off, let's pull that animal, just think of, you know, you're saving, you know, that animal from making other animals in the herd sick and therefore reducing antibiotic usage or making sure you can care for that from an animal welfare perspective. So I think there's so many benefits. And as you think about what it means for you, just think about applying that to individualized animal care. And what's exciting is we're getting this at, you know, a cost point that makes sense. Um, and I think for a while you had it in humans and maybe pets and that was more affordable, but I think we're now at a place now where you can put the same technology in, you know, livestock animals and have it make economic sense. You've mentioned this, but let's delve just a bit deeper. How can genetic analysis and blockchain traceability change the way l- livestock is produced and certainly uh, the, the breeding of livestock? Yeah, I think there's really, this is an exciting space, and um, we at Zoetis are really investing heavily behind blockchain and combining that with our genetics. Because when you have a value chain such as you have, for example, in beef, where you have cow-calf moving, selling that animal to a stalker, selling that animal to a feedlot, selling that animal to a packer, ensuring that if you want to breed the animals that are most likely to be healthy or have the best you know, productivity, et cetera, you need to be able to trace that animal throughout it. And you need to be able to pay the cow-calf you know, producer for doing that genetic test and understanding that and ensuring you understand how that animal is treated. I think it helps, you know, as you think about the sustainability of our supply chain in the U.S., knowing where an animal comes from, you know, what its heritage was, how, what medications it's been given. You can also help producers be more profitable because if they know they're going to get paid for keeping an animal antibiotic-free, et cetera, but making sure throughout its lifespan that you know that, 
You can ensure both the sustainability, the reliability of that. It increases transparency. And you can really ensure that the producers along the way get paid for the value that they add, which I think is really important for a cow-calf stocker and feedlot producers. I think this is going to really evolve the way the U.S. looks at it. And I do think it's an exciting opportunity for both the consumer as well as the producers. What do you see for animal health? What do you see for zoetis? And really importantly, what do you need from Washington and governments around the world to enable you to apply the innovations that you can bring to the marketplace? Sure. I think, you know, the animal health industry, you know, is an exciting space to be in. I, I think, it, you know, it's got good growth. But as you look toward the future, uh, the innovation are going to be in some new technologies and new spaces. And as we think about partnering, um, you know, certainly with some of our policymakers in D.C., you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we are responsible stewards of our nation's food supply. And that really involves ensuring that the livelihood of our producers across the U.S., you know, remains really strong. And for that, I think we need to continue to make sure that we have an agricultural industry as well as an animal health industry that's competitive with the world. Um, certainly on innovation, so investing to ensure um, that, you know, we have a strong regulatory environment. You know, Zoetis, you know, thrives in a strong regulatory environment that has high standards that ensure the safety and efficacy. I think it also means investing in these public-private partnerships around emerging infectious diseases. It's going to be a key focus as, as, you know, we go into the next few years, and I think continuing to do that is really important. And then I think we've got to make sure that we have a well-funded and well-supported um, regulatory structure in the U.S. that can keep the pace, you know, with innovation. So as we talked about, you look at some of these new technologies in precision livestock farming, or we're moving a lot into monoclonal antibodies for, um, for animals the same way you see in humans. We already have some approved. These are new um, areas of technological um, research and development that we need to make sure that we're partnered on with regulators and policymakers across. And then Lastly, I think if we're going to really speed up innovation, which is needed, we need to make sure that we can harmonize around some global, you know, regulatory standards to make it more efficient to bring innovation to market. I mean, that is what we need to make sure our U.S. producers um, of protein may remain the most um, competitive um, across the world stage and that the U.S. continues to be the most innovative area for animal health, which I think it has been. Well, Kristen Peck, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule and certainly here in uh, the advance of this holiday season to spend time with us here on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and today you have the last word. Well, Jeff, it has been a pleasure uh, to spend this time with you. I mean, I would just say that the last word is, you know, we are you know, very excited to continue to partner across the aisle in D.C. to advocate for the issues that are most important to our customers and therefore the most important to our business. And uh, we're grateful for the partnership, certainly of AgriPulse, in, in helping us do that. So thanks so much for having me today. Our thanks to Zoetta CEO Kristen Peck, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Healthy Hives, Bayer's Bee Health Research Initiative. Since 2015, Bayer's Healthy Hives Research Initiative has worked to help beekeepers around the world improve the health of their colonies. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.